Vispala Kanlekari, Podcasta de Hoskirchan, Anshera Soy Hoskutwe. Welcome to Con Langery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. With us in uh, rainy England is the uh, lovely Bianca Richards. <laughs> so close. It's been a while. Um, hello. And it's not rainy at all. It's just misty. Well, oh well. And <laughs> with us in Wisconsin is uh, William Annis. Hello. And I'd like to announce... In a few months, I may be in Wisconsin as well, or I will be in Wisconsin as well, because I'm school. Go ahead. Yeah, I was I was accepted to University of Wisconsin Graduate School for a master's in linguistics. Dun da da. Yeah. Um, do you still have applications out to other schools, or were they high on your list, or? Um, I applied to three of them. Ohio State rejected me, and um. And I haven't heard from Maryland, but I don't really want to go to Maryland anyway. <laughs> Why did you apply if you don't it, want to go? It was a backup. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, but well, congratulations. Yes. Uh, I have to figure out how I'm going to pay for it now. Oh, yeah. Where I'm going to live and everything. That would be the number one reason why I didn't go to grad school. <laughs> Uh, um, but, you know, in a few months, you might see an improvement in a podcast, because we might, I might be able to rig it so that me and William can record in the same room. Maybe. That might be more complicated than what we're doing now, actually, but whatever. It could be. That's, yeah. that's, that he will hunt you down. <laughs> that's fine. I just... <laughs> I don't know. You know, that might require more sophisticated recording technology. I might require like two mics and a mixer for that, I think. Yeah, that just starts to get hairy. I don't know. People do it. They People do. They do. Out, well, so. you could also use the double mics for wandering around Madison and finding native speakers of Hmong to ask them <laughs> nosy questions about their language. Hmong? Illicit examples. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, why don't we? I'm still ask. I'm still con- curious about this. Anyway. Anyway, why don't we need? We need to move into our topic. We have. Um. William labeled this as a practicum. Uh. I think. I guess we can, if we we talk mostly about techniques it will be sort of a, 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 a practicum episode but we're going to talk about dialects uh, dialects and Kutsprachen. yay <laughs> so basically once you're getting into if you're getting into dialects you're doing a little bit of con worlding but um, generally speaking we are going to talk to you about variations that exist in Natlang sort of uh, dialect continuums and such, 
and we're going to talk about techniques you can do to create different dialects for your conlang if you're using if you are you have it in sort of a con world scenario where it would be widespread enough to have many different dialects. So, uh, William, why don't you take it away a little bit and talk to us a little bit about dialects? Um, so, this one necessarily takes us into historical linguistics. But what I'm going to talk about today is stuff that isn't necessarily deep-time historical linguistics, Right, so you don't have to produce a, a proto language of thousands of years ago and, and an enormous array of sound changes. We can just talk about a few sound changes. Yeah, um, um, if you're doing just if you're doing dialects, if they're fairly closely related, you only you can go back just like a couple hundred years, right? Right, right. Yeah, and you don't even have to fully flesh out the earlier version that much. Right. This is this is gonna. F- focus a good deal on just vocabulary generation, although I will talk about some other things that, that can happen. Yeah. Um, we're, I'm we're... also going to talk a lot about ancient Greek, and I apologize for that, but the reason is that I know it, and unlike many languages, it had several dialects already going strong by the time it appeared on the scene, uh-huh. and those got used in interesting ways. So, in addition to dialects, we're going to talk about Kunstsprachen, which sort of covers how might these dialects be used? What does it mean to a person from the north, the north part of the country to hear someone from the south part of the country speak? Does that sound like they're the boss, or does it sound like they're a hick? Uh-huh. Kunstsprachen is um, using dialects um, blends for artistic purposes, and because this occurs all over the planet, I thought that would be interesting to talk about, too. Then I have no problem with us sticking more to languages that we're the most familiar with here because you need a lot of uh, knowledge to to even know anything about the different dialects. Right, right. Um, So, probably the simplest way to get dialects um, into your language is to start off by producing um, your vocabulary in a slightly different version of the language than you are inventing. So obviously going back, you know, creating your language and then deciding three years later you want a dialect is harder to do. Um, Tolkien did it, but he never stopped tinkering, so we know how well that worked out. Yeah. It's possible to work backwards, but it's harder than working forwards. It is much harder. Um, so, so some things you could do is... If you're willing to use a word generator, use that to generate a vocabulary with a slightly larger phonology than your target languages will have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, put it in your dictionary, but maybe, you know, conceal it somehow or, or have it in your notes. And once you've got that, um, you know, think about some changes you find interesting. Um, we've got some links that I found um, talking about various historical languages and their changes over time so that if you see a set of changes you like, you can go like, ah, I can work with this. Make sure that you put those interesting sounds into your proto-language and generate your vocabulary with those. So one of my favorite things is labialized consonants. Mm -hmm. 
like ka and qua in your protolang. And then there's all sorts of fun you could do based on existing historical, historical examples. You could have one language turn the plain velar into uh, an affricate, so from ka to cha, and you could have the labio velar, qua, turn into a plain k. Hmm. So that's one thing. Or you could go crazy. You could have the plain K stay as a plain K, and you could have the labiovelar qua turn into a P. And there are even a few languages that turn a labiovelar into just a plain old W. The first of those sounds like what happened in romance. Right, exactly. Yeah, but the other ones are interesting, aren't they? The the. Labiovelar to P happened in, I forget which varieties of the Celtic languages and also some dialects of Greeks. Greek. The situation in Greek is very a big old mess. <laughs> um, but it doesn't have to be labiovelars. Other kinds of labialization can cause this sort of change. So the Latin word for good, bonus, at an earlier but still historical period was not bonus but duonus. That is D-U-O-N-U-S. So here, again, we had a labialization just changing the stop altogether. Um, another thing you could – and that's just one example. I'm, I'm not even going to go through the list of every possible thing that can happen historically to consonants. Um, start with a proto-language that has a seven-vowel system and have your actual languages have five-vowel five systems. So by seven-vowel system, I mean having both low and high versions of E and O. So E, E, O, and A, or rather A and O, and have those simplify in some way so that now, you go from a seven to a five. Uh, have maybe have in one dialect A turn into E, that is raise even further. In other dialects, you might have A lower into E and, and unite into one sound. Um, See, when I did my dialects, I liked going the other way rather from having many sounds to maybe fewer in a specific dialect. I liked having a few and then going to more, which was a lot easier considering I only had three vowels. I don't know. I wouldn't really want to go fewer on that one. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is I had uh, so much fun doing the three-vowel system because there's only three. You can move them all over the place. <laughs> I, I was, I was, that was exactly what I was going to, to mention is that um, why, why, William, are you so much stressing having a bigger sound inventory than, um, than a smaller one? Because I do realize that it's easier to lose sounds than to gain them, but you can gain sounds. Sure, and I have one of the examples I already had gained a sound, namely, it, you got from K, you got cha. Mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just picking that as a starting point. There's all sorts of things you can do. You can go from fewer to more, more to fewer. Um, I have a fondness for a small sound inventory, so maybe I'm biased into going smaller, but mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. You know, look at, look at all the changes that happened to this or that language and over time, and both things can happen. Okay. I was just curious about why we're... Those are just examples I happen to pick. Okay. Um, You could have vowels um, reduce or change in particular ways in unaccented syllables. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not uncommon for unaccented syllables to raise, or unaccented vowels to raise. 
Um, you could have them raised to different things. Or um, my favorite is in the history of Latin, we have all sorts of vowel reductions that happen that don't make a whole lot of sense until you realize that at one point in its history, Latin accented all words on the first syllable. Oh, wow. So that's another subtle trick you can do to your dialect is have one dialect pretend like it was accented someplace else differently or even do have it accented differently and then have your normal sort of vowel collapse chaos that you get in in some languages with a strong stress accent. Uh That that would be a good way to actually go to from fewer vowels to more vowels because you could have the accent... Uh, once the accent shifts, those vowels, those uh, reduced vowels, might become phonemic. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing you can do to generate new vowels is just have some consonant sounds disappear. H, um, W, and you know Y, the ha, ya, wa, the the, the semi vowels are much hated through time, and sometimes they appear, <laughs> and sometimes they disappear, and they leave all sorts of chaos. Accents in weird places, and vowels can either lengthen or turn into diphthongs. Their quality can change. Vowels that used to be separated by a consonant can get squished together somehow. All sorts of fun can be had by, again, I'm deleting sounds. (laughs) Um, But by deleting a weak sound, quote-unquote weak sound, whatever we want to call H, ha, um, you know, delete that and allow vowels to run into each other, and you have to decide what happens then. Mm Mm-hmm. And and just a random um, consonant change I'll mention because it pops up all over the place in surprising to me places is a lot of languages for some reason decide they don't like p, uh-huh. where, where it turns into h or disappears entirely, especially at the beginnings of words. And I've seen this in languages like Irish and Nahuatl. Now, why would p turn into h? Uh, I assume it goes through a uh, 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 what do you call it? A uh, stage first. Yeah. Now, staged. Um, now, sound changes that occur in staged stages. If you put some of those in, those could be interesting because different dialects could be at different stages. Um. Sure. And then Although, in that situation, you're starting to get in just straight up pure recreating different languages from a similar proto-language thing, but yes. Um, that's true. I, I assume that things that are still called dialects are having enough conversation between them that I would expect changes in to be somewhat more consistent. Okay. Really radical changes I would not expect to occur only in one place and not another, unless um, the peoples were separated and on their way to producing a, a new language. And that's something that we haven't quite mentioned right here on the podcast though, but there's a little bit of a complication in that um, the line between language and dialect is a little fuzzy. A little? Yeah. It might be it could be a little bit of a tricky matter when you are creating dialects for a language and um, in order and uh trying to avoid the dialects diverging into different languages because there are no native speakers of these language of these languages you can't do the mutual intelligibility test on a conlang so you might 
it, you have to be kind of wary, but unfortunately, I don't think we could answer, I don't think any, either any of the three of us has the expertise to answer um, how much or how little uh, changes you can do without splitting your dialect off into a different language. language. Well, do you know anyone in the world who can tell you that straight line of when it's a dialect and not a language on its own? No. (laughs) Miracle worker. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But that... I'm not sure that that's really a problem in uh-huh. conlanging in the sense that what does it matter if they're different enough? That, uh, you, then that becomes an opportunity for um, conworlding. Um, okay. I just, I just don't think it matters. It could be. And it's hard. It depends on how you would want to present your language. If you are presenting it in in-universe... All over the world, there's people who traditionally consider things uh, dialects that are actually different languages. So. Right, right. Um, um, so that's really it that I feel like going through in terms of generating vocabulary and different words for your different dialects. Um, and again, I'm making the assumption that you're starting with the intention of eventually doing this. Okay. Can I now, add... Uh, the, the fun phenolo- thing about this is, in addition to a way to generate dialects, even if you don't feel like generating multiple dialects now, uh-huh. starting with a, a, going back a little bit back in time becomes a way to generate that regular irregularity. That's true. To, to give a, a little naturalistic touches here and there to your language. Um. In terms of sort of phonological stuff, can I add one one little thing? And this uh, you you can get to this through all the the, the through the the uh, techniques that um, William mentioned, but it seems to me fairly common for one dialect to have to maintain a distinction of two fairly similar sounds. While another dialect loses them, um, like Spanish uh, in Spain, in well in the Castile region, maintaining th versus s, and then that getting lost in Latin America and southern Spain. Yeah, uh-huh. and quite and, a bit of Spain. Uh, yeah, and things like um, the uh, most of southern China does not pronounce the um, the retroflexes in and this is in a dialect of Mandarin just to make that clear <laughs> not in the dialects that are actually languages sorry this is very confusing when you talk about uh, linguistic uh, dialectology of Chinese so. yeah yeah there is more variation to Mandarin than most of us realize which you will learn the first time you encounter someone from Shanghai. Yeah. Um, by, the, by the way, tonal languages can get a lot of uh, changes just because of, of tone changes. Oh goodness! Yeah, I'm not even mentioning that because yeah. I have no experience. With, I have no experience with that, so I can't speak to it. Um. So is that it for sound changes? Yeah. Why don't we move on? Because sound changes 
if you only do sound changes, basically what you have is regional accents. Right. If you want a dialect, you have to do more changes. Yeah. So yeah. let's go. Um, and, and like I said, we'll have uh, links to various documents that have nice big tables of changes that have happened in real languages. And it's pretty easy to, to find more. So the next thing I want to talk about is morphology. Mm-hmm. And here I'm inspired by um, Greek in particular. Um, Greek, ancient Greek, had a bunch of different ways to form imperfective stems, which in Greek grammars get called presents, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there, most of your standard old-fashioned Greek grammars recognize six different ways to form imperfectives from your perfective stems, and that involves, some of them involve suffixes, some involve infixes, some involve reduplication, um, some involve various combinations of those. The important thing here is that different dialects chose different ways to form the imperfective stem. So in the Greek, most of us learn in college first the word for to leave, lepaw, um, is is simple uh, ablaut change. Whereas Sappho, her dialect used an infix and a suffix, giving the present tense of the same verb limpano. So lepa limpano. So that's a pretty significant change. Simply by deciding that this stem will go one way in one dialect and will go a different way in a different dialect. This assumes you have multiple ways to form different kinds of stems and that you do not have a perfectly regular, this is how you make a verb, this is how you make an imperfective. Um, so that this sort of trick might not work as obviously well in an, agglutinating, in an agglutinating language where you just chain suffixes together and there's not much synthesis going on. Yeah, but your suffixes could be different. Right, you might have different classes that yeah. operate in some other uh, way than this. Um, I'm thinking of the languages of Australia where the final consonant determines things, but you might, you know, change that up. Uh, in some languages, pronouns are declined differently from nouns, but there might be borrowing back and forth. A pronoun might, for due to a sound change, obliterating a distinction, might borrow the noun declension for the genitive, and the same sound change might require nouns to borrow a dative from the pronouns. Different dialects can make different choices about what to do in those circumstances. Uh-huh. Um, and again, assuming you've had some irregularities develop, some dialects might preserve those irregularities and others might smooth them out. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anything else for these? I mean, the principle, I'm, I'm just mentioning principles that can be applied um, with a light hand or with great big gobs of dialect diversity. Um, well, the... Certainly, the uh, smoothing out irregularities is a good example. Like in English, it's not even necessarily dialect. It may just depend on each individual's idiolect, which ver- which verbs are strong verbs and weak verbs. Sometimes, right. right. Um, so you can have a lot of fun if you have common irregular paradigms or something. Um, what I love in English is that we have some dialects have decided to take once regular weak verbs and make them irregular strong verbs. <laughs> yes, that is a really 
funny thing that happens, isn't it? Like right? sneak that, snuck. Exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. The pattern gets generalized, and we're like, well, this must be it. <laughs> it's, it's like analogy working in the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, like it. Uh, that would be a fun thing to have happen in a language. Maybe one one uh, dialect starts moving more towards using the uh, the the uh, amblout changes. Yeah, yeah, the amblout changes. One leans more toward doing the uh, the regular suffixes. Well, you know, English might kind of do this, and I could be wrong on this, but I feel like, or at least I've heard that over here you get more of the perfect tense with the have for past meanings because whatever it's called the present perfect but whatever but in um, the u.s you tend to get more of the ed ending for the past meaning so in that way you're probably going more to it's splitting i have heard that i've heard i have heard that the past perfect is used for different things in the U.S. and in Britain, but uh, I, it's like one of them will be for um, something you, uh, something that you continue to do to the present day, and one of them will be, and and one of them will be um, um, something that you have you did a long time ago. And well, you kind of—it's a bunch of mushiness, something. and I'm not very it's, good at it's very, telling what English does. Yeah, I don't really just, remember exactly how it is, but somehow the. But I have heard that there is some usage of the past perfect and the um, and the simple past in English that has the opposite distinction in one dialect from the other. Well, the point is that the semantic space that the two forms are taking are different. One is taking more meanings from the other. And in that, if it keeps going, it could just completely wipe the other one out in, you know, a couple hundred years. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you wouldn't have that past tense anymore, and the other one could have the other one. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's... Honestly, that sounds to me like an area effect that Britain is getting uh, affected by tendencies in German and French. Potentially. Uh, Anyway, so again, this is a good example. Uh, Another thing I wanted to mention that's similar to this is lots and lots of verbs in classical Greek took medio-passive endings, but were semantically and grammatically active, right? They took Uh accusative direct objects and all of that stuff. This can be a diagnostic for dialects. One word might be just boring, active in one dialect and might be medio-passive in another dialect with identical meanings. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Um, So that takes us on to the lexicon, unless we can think of any more morphology things. Not so much. Syntax doesn't really change that much among dialects. Well, it can, and and I want to talk about one or two things here at the end. Okay, well, um, I don't know, because... Your morphology, it's going to have those little edge cases where, you know, the uh, the flattening of irregularities is different than the, uh, like, like, like we mentioned, or certain forms are used for different purposes in different 
places in different dialects? Sure. When I talk about the flattening of irregularities, I want to be clear that one language might smooth out an irregularity in one part, uh-huh. but embrace irregularity elsewhere. And it's, you know, different dialects will choose different things to smooth down. Well, yeah, yeah. The, that def- I, I would say definitely in any case where you have irregularities and there is an an, an analogical smoothing of the irregularities. Um, you have an opportunity for different dialects to be cha- m- making different choices, and you should take that opportunity if you're doing dialects at all. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I would say... I don't know. I don't think we have... Because you're not going to radically change your morphology for a, for, um, for a dialect. It's going to be here or there, unless you're right. actually doing a different language. Right. Right. Um, um, so, in terms of the lexicon, um, simply have different roots for a common word. Uh huh. Um, in again, the ancient Greek situation, um, most of the Greek word ha- world had one root to say that you wanted. Well, they had two roots to say that you wanted something. Uh huh. Um, but for some reason, in the Doric-speaking areas, they had a much simpler word, <laughs> and they used that. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're feeling really um, up to a challenge, you can have identical roots being used in different ways in different dialects. Uh Have them take on slightly different um, senses. Um, Like tea. I hate that tea here means dinner. Oh, sure. Really? It drives me nuts. I thought tea was like an afternoon snack or something. No, it's just dinner. That's what they teach you in the movies with Mary Poppins or something. No, it's just dinner. They say, (laughs) oh, you want to come over for tea? No, they're just going to give you some sandwiches or something. Or dinner. Or supper. I don't like the word supper, but that's another story for another day. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, I mean, we all know where the word tea comes from, and you can see how it's split. And yeah. to what we think tea time is and right. the, dinner. The lexicon, I think, is probably next to the the actual sound changes. Lexicon is probably the next easiest thing, if not easier than even sound sound changes, to actually do. Um, because, like everybody knows about lexical differences, the the. You can look at um, isoglosses for um, pop, coke, and soda. Is it uh-huh. Uh-huh. on in in U.S. dialects and get an idea for how um, sort of the spread of different um, uh, different words for things will give you will. Um, Hue to different dialects, or help you determine which dialect is being spoken. spoken. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I'm not focusing too much on lexicon because that's the most easy and obvious in many ways. Just like you're saying that the you use different words for the same thing. Uh, I will have to say, for the time I lived in Texas when I first moved there, the use of the word Coke to describe any carbonated beverage was genuinely confusing to me. <laughs> well, Wait, so thing. what do you use in Wisconsin? Are you a pop person? We're, we're, we're a pop zone, yeah. Oh, yes. It's I'm a soda zone. Uh, yeah. There's actually a Wisconsin uh, 
we have subdialects in Wisconsin, and there's a diagnostic for somebody from Milwaukee, isn't that that they call a water fountain a bubbler? <laughs> oh, that's funny. And they have, in fact, you can buy T-shirts that make fun of that. Anyway, so yeah, yeah well, you can find you can, you can you can hear a bunch of them if you travel around, even within your own country, but to and and to to any other country that speaks the same language then you will find these things. And, like, we're talking about fairly low-frequency words, but even, it it doesn't have to be a low-frequency word. It can be a high-frequency word. Uh, Northern and Southern China use a different word for to speak. In the north it's shuo, in the south it's jiang. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that reminds me. You can have different conjugation, or you can just demolish some. I think you already said that now that I said it. Um, yeah, like here, I get annoyed because it's just the whole past tense. It's not, I was, I were. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, sure. I mean, for those listeners from the United States, probably have a weird uh, relationship with dialects because all things considered, the language of the United States is remarkably homogenous over a huge area of space. Whereas most of Europe has a lot of, I mean, you just deal with dialects all the time. Yeah. If you, um, if you, if you move out of your hometown, basically, yeah. you're going to encounter a different manner of speaking. Which is why um, news programs annoyingly subtitle English speakers that I can understand perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, we already talked about that. We talked about that. Um, if you have made the effort to produce discourse particles, they might operate in slightly different ways in different dialects. Um, and we talked a few weeks ago about evidentiality. Again, the precise use of those might be slightly different from dialect to dialect, or they might the evidentials might take different forms. Yeah, just be aware of it whenever. Well, as you're building, um, probably building your proto language, and also as you build into like whatever your main language is, whether it's the standard language or um, uh, a particular dialect that you're focusing on, mm-hmm. be aware of all these various things that you can. Switch up when you do the switch when you work on a different dialect. Actually, like when I've done a little bit of dialectical thing, everything I've changed to be a different dialect was something I thought about adding or kind of wanted to add, or I had a choice of two things and I chose one. All of the leftover stuff that I really liked is really what ended up in my dialects, just because I wanted to have them, but they didn't quite make it, so they're like runners up. Yeah, but don't go, <laughs> don't go too far with that because you may end up with like uh, a uh, an agglutinative standard language that has a a polysynthetic dialect for no no apparent reason. Oh, yeah. no, it's not like that. It's like <laughs> if I wanted to add a uvular or not, and I decided in one case where I had a G, I decided to get rid of the G, and every place that was basically the G went to. The uvular stop unvoiced. Um, so it was basically just a sound change, and then it kind of patterned with it, even though it patterned as a voice stop, even though it was really voiceless, because oh, I yeah. felt like... 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's the just uh, the the tip of the iceberg of things you can do to make your dialect. Um, then the next question is, what do those dialects mean to your speakers? I'm making the assumption that anyone conlanging and also creating dialects is doing conworlding to some degree. I don't think that's an unreasonable assumption. Well, yeah. So we've got people, and what do those different dialects sound like to different people? So the interesting situation for Greek is, and, and this has happened in different parts of the world we can talk about later, each regional dialect was associated with a particular genre of literature. Not all of them, but sort of in the, in the broad sphere, you know, choral song and poetry was Doric, and epic was handled by the Ionic dialect, and the Aeolic dialects um, did, you know, uh, lyric. And our first appearance of Greek literature is Homer. He is already using a completely artificial mix of dialects. No one spoke the language of Homer. He was mostly Ionic, but he borrowed things from other dialects um, which had their own prestige and their own implications. Why did he do this? One, because it made the meter easier in some situations. Second, for historical reasons. We have reason to believe we have these different stories from the Greek world all coming together with bringing along dialect stuff with them. So that's a simple example, and it set the tone for all of Greek literature, right? From then on, if you wrote something vaguely epic-like, you used Homeric language and all the weird dialect mix. The same thing happened to um, Pali, which is the language that a lot of Buddhist stuff is in. If you look at a declension table, you see you know, a bunch of different ways to form, say, the dative. That's very artificial, and what really happened is a bunch of dialects had material about the Buddha, and when it all came together, you got this mess out the end where you have this um, art language that is used that doesn't reflect how anyone ever spoke, um, but brings in the different dialects to all blend together. And it looks like something similar was happening in classical Nahuatl, where it was mostly the language spoken by a certain city, but for various reasons, different bits of grammar were stolen from different dialects because of um, cultural reasons. So I just wanted to mention Kunstsprachen and these art languages as things that in real languages, sometimes dialects get pulled back together again in weird and artificial ways. So that's my lesson on that. Yeah. The, that kind of thing can occur in all sorts of different ways. Um, so in our own, in English you see a little bit of uh, Kunstsprachen kind of stuff in that apparently almost any fantasy movie or um, TV show or really anything where people are speaking English but not really English, it's almost always British dialects that they're speaking. Right. Right? Yeah. Well, if you look at... Uh, 
Game of Thrones. Everybody's using, they're using various British dialects. Is that because all of the actors are British? Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm pretty... Um, no, well, in uh, Lord of the Rings, everybody's speaking with uh, a particular British ac- dialect. Now, I know there were American actors in that that were playing yeah, yeah, yeah. the English-speaking role. Right, so. it's, it's the use of a dialect for... Adding some patina of culture. Yes. Um, and that takes us straight into sort of con-worlding sociolinguistics, right? Whose yeah. who's dialect has prestige, whose doesn't? A couple things I know in um, Chinese. I was trying to look this up so I wouldn't lie, but I'm not certain. So, but, so I'm not certain of this. But I have heard at one time that a lot of Chinese opera music is actually in Sichuanese because uh, there were some famous troops that came from Sichuan. Right. Um, right. And if you, you want to go somewhere a little bit more modern, there was a time, I think in like the 90s, when a lot of Taiwanese singers were popular throughout the, the, the Sinophone world. And Taiwanese singers are still popular. And for a while, pop musicians in mainland China would affect a Taiwanese accent to the point where at some point, uh, some, some Chinese, one of, one of the censor uh, organizations caught wind of it and banned people on p- TV from affecting a different accent. Right. Um, in the uh, Arab-speaking world, um, many, many pop singers try to sound like they're from Cairo because <laughs> um, that's the center of movie making and, and the music industry. Um, so I just wanted to, to mention uh, one situation in invented languages is somebody, I think, I think Hungarians were involved, created a fake archaic Esperanto. <laughs> Because they wanted to be able to use it for literary purposes, right? If you write a, uh, if you have a novel and someone uses a Latin phrase, how do you deal with that? So they got together and produced this very complicated um, um, ar- archaicum esperantum, which is supposed to be this this archaic uh, esperanto. Oh no, it was created by yeah. I don't know who this guy is. Um, <clears throat> so that's funny. <laughs> so wait, and then and here, yeah, go ahead. So how how exactly do they 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 think of it as archaic? Did they try to add things that they thought made it sound like an older language? What? Sure, well, they just this is the, the thing that we're telling people not to do. You have Esperanto, so we're going to roll it back in time. So <laughs> they made some sound changes, some spelling changes. They um, added two cases. <laughs> A dative and a genitive appear in addition to the accusative. Um, so, yes, obviously it, it looks archaic compared to other languages of, you know, Europe and Romance languages, right? They lost their cases, so <laughs> these people put them back into Esperanto. It's just funny because Esperanto is so obviously not naturally developed that right. <laughs> the, right. the fact that you would have any 
concept of what it would sound like archaically is weird. Wait, uh, again, I said it's it's for for literary purposes, and obviously Esperanto people have too much fun playing with language, so the the temptation was there and could not be um, stepped away from. Uh, in Sumerian, which takes takes us way back in time, um, we can recognize a separate dialect, um, typically called Emesal, which is used by women characters when they're speaking in stories, and in certain kinds of religious literature. Now, uh, are we certain that this wasn't just the the uh, sort of uh, female dialect of Sumerian? Because I know that... Um, probably, uh, right. So this is not unusual for some languages to have markedly distinct forms of speaking for men and women. Yeah. I mean, um, it doesn't. It, it the current well, different people think different things. The thought is is that it probably represents originally a regional dialect of Sumerian, because Akkadian borrowed a bunch of words in the Emesal form instead of the the Emesal form. Okay. So I'm, it was I'm, thought that there were certainly plenty of people, not just women, I'm using not those saying, forms. Because I don't know the uh, the uh, anything about. Uh, the the culture at the time, if most of the writers were male, they may just have picked a dialect that they thought sounded like what women sound like, and it may, it may have nothing to do with what. No, 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 no. That, that's very unlikely. The evidence suggests that there was a real dialect that sounded this way. Okay. How it got picked for some reason to be used by women? It, it, it's a complicated issue. It's not clear. Which part came first? Was it a religious um, choice because a certain region had produced the hymns of a goddess that everyone kept using, and therefore that came to be associated with goddesses and women? Mm-hmm. Or was something else going on? It's, it's not entirely clear, and with Sumerian, um, the lack of evidence inspires people to outlandish theories. <laughs> um, but the fact that Emesol forms were regularly borrowed into surrounding languages suggests that it was not just something made up by scribes. Okay. So, it wasn't made up, but we're not sure exactly what it was in the first place. Right. It has the characteristics of a regional dialect. There's some slightly different words um, and certain characteristic sound changes. Mm-hmm. And I have a link to that in people who are interested can go read. Okay. Well... I don't know. Do we really have anything else to say on the on the subject of Kunstsprachen in, in particular, or dialects in general? I don't think so. I think I think we covered it pretty well. We talked for a very long time on this stuff, but um, <laughs> I think I'm gonna say at the end, this is another one where do your own research because we can't possibly. We've talked for. Uh, longer than we usually do I think for main topics and we still can't have um, we still can't you know cover this thing exhaustively Uh, hopefully we've given you a whole lot of useful information but look stuff up uh, look at languages that you're interested in look at the different dialectal variations you know um even just think of what is in your native language. I know that everybody hates uh, 
people cloning their native language, but you can get some ideas if you know a little bit about dialects of your own language. Especially since most people here speak English. English is a very widespread language. There are tons yeah. of interesting things happening with it if you actually notice them. And yes. since most of our audience is in the U.S., look outside the U.S. a little bit because, as William mentioned, uh, U.S. English is remarkably homogenous, so you, you um, could get some stuff there, but it probably would be better for you to look at uh, British English, Australian English, uh, Indian English. If you, that, the Indian that, English is fascinating. Yeah, Indian yeah. English would be a great one, especially if you want to figure out um, how to work with a language that has strong substrate effects. Because um, it, it has a lot of influence from languages in India, right? Right, oh yeah. A lot of Hindi and such. Um, but just just look around for a whole lot of in a whole lot of different places and find stuff that you want to do and you know and if you're a a, a phonesthetics guy you might want to you know sort of tweak the sound of each language to fit its role in the society too. Um, but anyway, since we can't talk too much more about this, we're going to move on to our featured conlang, which is Anawanda. Yes. So, Anawanda, Anawanda. The name, I have a feeling that this is not a real name, Tomasu Danaruma. Yeah, I have no idea. Pretend like you're Mario and say it. Tomasu Danaruma. No. <laughs> ah. Anyway. So, I'm responsible for us picking this language. It is at the domain glossopoesis.net, which has existed for a long time. This language has not been updated in more than 10 years. Just, just, just follow our link. We're not going to spell that on the, on the air. No, no. <laughs> Come to the show notes and follow the link. The, the funky thing about this is that even though the site doesn't change much, someone is obviously still paying for the web server and the domain name. <laughs> yeah, this uh, is certainly an old site. Although it's, I think it, it looks pretty good for an old site. Yeah. yeah, considering its age, it doesn't look as old as it was, which is why I got really annoyed when I was browsing through it. And I was like, why is this so annoying to browse through? Then I looked down and I saw like the last updated was like 2001. And I was yeah. like, mm-hmm. oh. January 2001. I mean, it doesn't give off that GeoCities feel that we sometimes get. Um, I hate that feel. Okay. We look at some terrible websites sometimes. This one's not the worst. No, it's pretty good. Um, the reason I added this, and the language is not very well defined, which is unfortunate, um, but he made a bunch of interesting phonetic choices... Um, and where he gives you grammar, there are interesting grammar choices, so that's why I added this to the list. Okay. What would th- be things... I'm looking right now at weak and strong consonants here. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And it basically looks like there's just... It's sort of uh, 
conditioned on environment, of course. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's weak or strong. That's an interesting thing. It's sort of a... It's, it looks like he, he did that without... Well, some of these look like standard lenition forms. Some of, them, some of them not as much. I especially like what happens to G when it's weak. That is between vowels. It turns into a W. Yes, that's a, that's a really interesting one. I like, I like that. Um, I like when when G does crazy stuff like that. Um, and he has. Okay, I can't really. His writing system is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I don't look at that. I'd forgotten that that even existed until I was looking this over again today. <laughs> um, he has a simple three-way vowel system, da, 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 um, which come in long or short varieties, and the language has tone, but it's a simple tone system. Yeah. Um... And there's a complex interaction between tone and stress, but I've never um, bothered to sit down and decipher all of that. Okay. Wait. Okay. He has direct oblique and genitive cases. So, what does that exactly mean? I'm not finding much... There's there's problems with um, the fact that uh, some of this stuff is kind of sparse in the documentation and yeah. you can't you can't pick it, up it, some things. It's very sparse. It's like he planned to have more and then, you know, two thousand one rolled around, he decided New Millennium don't feel like doing this anymore. <laughs> um, then, why, then why keep it online? <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe it's something else hosted on it. He does have strong and weak verbs. Um, and it looks like the the weak verbs still have sort of the same distinctions, but it's it's like uh, there's more like zero morphs in the in the thing. Yes. Oh. it's lax. It's changed in the corresponding tense vowel. I don't remember there being lax in tense vowels. I remember. Oh, that's um that's an issue with his terminology, I think. He calls... Um, well, William said it's... Um, it, it was a length distinction, but actually doubled vowels represent Is it just the stress? Um, yeah, exists of both tense and lax varieties for a total of six phonemes. The problem uh, is that that's a terminology issue... Um, I don't know. It, they could actually be tense and lax distinction. And back in the day when they didn't have IPA, he might have just represented yeah, them. Yeah, but way. we've we've had somebody complain on the show before. Tense and lax, lax don't really mean a whole lot. Sure, yeah. they do. You just have to define them. They yeah. can, but in this case, they don't mean anything because we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's some there's some uh, phonology. Um, Focus people um, that insist that tense and lax are just like uh, William's emphasis. Nobody is exactly sure what it means, but unless uh, you tell us what it means, yeah. If, I think it's it's a term you could define. 
but I'm not sure he doesn't really define it for us. No, you get a lot of that with this. It's like you get him describing something, but sometimes the description just leaves you with more questions than you started yeah. with. Um, like this Sandy, Sandy chart. I'm not exactly sure. Labial, he has labial, dental, and velar stems. And that changes uh, something, but I'm just like not exactly sure where his Sandy Sandy applies and what what changes what where what direction the change goes in. Uh, I'm lost. So <laughs> there's it's this is not um, this is uh, I'm I'm sorry to be disparaging so much. It's just that it you it's it has great ideas in it. It's just that. Uh, I need to know what the heck you're talking about. Right. So the reason I mention this language is because I think there are the the germ, the kernel of some really interesting ideas that other people might want to play with. Um, It is not a language anyone is going to learn because it is far too underdefined. I think this, this is like his notes for starting the language. They're awfully well laid out for notes, but yes. It's, it's, yeah. it's, well, it feels like the, the, the content of it, not so much the layout, but the content of it seems like somebody's initial notes, and it's written in a, such a way that you think that he was just writing down stuff that he wanted to remember, and he left out some things that he, that, that he has in his brain, but the rest of us have no idea what he's talking about, so... Uh, yeah. That's the way it is. It's not a polished finished grammar. It's a uh, it's notes. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on how the tense category is encoded. <laughs> that's nice. <sighs> um, the the verb classes are sort of interesting. It's some kind of mix of ablaut and Arabic. Mm-hmm. Um. My favorite kind. Yeah. Yeah. And then the weak verbs are boring. Uh, auxiliary verbs, not exactly. Uh, they're sometimes required by rules of syntax, but he doesn't tell me what those rules are <laughs> and what these auxiliary verbs mean. But he does give us four of them. What's nice is that they're not perfectly regular. That's, that is nice. They're kind of... Uh, like to, um, to make is fun. It has a past form, and then the other two forms are related. That's nifty. Uh huh. Yeah, it has some some suppletion going on, which will happen when you have auxiliaries, probably because auxiliaries are used all the time, so they collect irregularities. Um, but. Finally, in some of the later chapters, he has example sentences, which are nicely laid out. Not a huge number, but they give you the the possibilities of this language. Okay. He's uh, cross-referencing clinics, which he actually does list things that they do, but not a whole lot. Uh, yeah, declarative sentence... Okay, here's something that I don't like when people do uh, glosses. So he has declarative sentences. Um, but 
his example sentence, the only example sentence under declarative sentences is translated, the fact that the chief liked it surprised me. I think that's a great example, but... Of nominalization. Yeah, it's a great example, <laughs> but it doesn't belong here, and it, if, it, if it was in this declarative sentences thing, it should be like example number five, and example number one should be like, I ate a grape. <laughs> it would be like, the cat ate a fish. Because be- when, you, when you're illustrating, you're, these examples are supposed to illustrate something. So you want to find a very simple, the simplest sentence you can make for your first example that illustrates the points. I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. Sorry. Right, that was, you should definitely sorry. start simple and then build into it. Yeah, sorry to to rant about it, but I I just I I I like it when people have good examples. It annoys me when people have uh, examples that aren't necessary. I just um, think that example was trying to cover too many things. Yeah. Let's see, he has rel- relative clauses. Oh, he has several examples of his relative clauses. Yes. Uh, it looks like he uses a particle, alang, and. Uh, or alag, sorry. That's me with English and emphasis trying to pronounce that. Um, alag, so, um, yeah, you, you just have, it just has a particle, a relative, a relativizer that's followed by the, the, the clause. And the clause has to have a resumptive pronoun of some sort. Oh, uh, yeah, it ha- yeah, that's right. So this, these are not gap clauses, these are... Yes. Which, that's, you know, minorly interesting. It's not It's not going too far out there, but it's... Yeah. Uh, at I'm least tra- you thought about it, I'm sure. I wish I could figure out what language inspired this. Because some parts of it make me think somebody had a glancing encounter with um, some Inuit language, but then other things are very puzzling. Uh, they are, aren't they? I mean, I just don't understand where they came from. Um, he's got a section on topicalization and the E-word emphasis, but the fact that it was thought about makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Do, 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 do. Oh, yeah. There's the sentence that George did, that George did not like. Um, ooh, nice long list of modal verbs. Anyway, uh, like I said, the, the language has possibilities, and you know maybe someone can come take a look at it and... and sort of take the possibility there and run with it in their own direction. Yeah. Yeah, take this this language. I would love to think that this guy might listen to this podcast and decide, hmm, maybe I should actually start developing this language again and make it better. But yeah, at, at, that's at the unlikely. The, at the bottom of the page, there are one, two, there are six... Languages listed which have no links. Uh huh. So clearly he has lots of languages. I just, yeah. I just see them more. But, you know, I don't know if he listens to us, but. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to. Uh, email him. He has his email at the bottom. Everyone should yeah. listen to us. But, um, I think it doesn't have to be him to, to do this. If somebody took this and took some of these ideas with different words and flushed them out, 
you get, you get a pretty good conlang with it. Yeah, no, there's a lot. Like I said, there's much of interesting possibility here, even though it was yeah. never finished. Yeah, which made I'm me not, sad. I'm I've not I'm just to be clear. I'm not advocating plagiarism. I'm just saying that uh, there's interesting ideas in here. You could get some ideas for yeah, your yeah, own language well, here, which yeah, is yeah. what we. This is our goal in conlangery with the featured conlang is show you languages that you could be inspired by. So yeah. Um, and I've been hoping for more than ten years that more would appear on this website, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll we'll uh, maybe we should bookmark it and keep an eye on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been doing that for more than ten years. <laughs> well, if this podcast lasts for another for for ten years, then ten years, I will be would... old by then. Hey. <laughs> Hey, hey. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey. William will be 50 in 10 years. Yeah, I don't want to think about how old I'll be in 10 years. <laughs> uh, my dad will be 70. Anyway. Um, yeah, I think that's about all we can say about that. Uh, is, yep. you know, we can point out a few interesting things, but in the end... I don't know how anything works in that language, so... I know how a few things work, but it would... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, why don't we move on? Uh, we don't have... Nobody's been emailing us. Send us emails. Please. <laughs> um, we have been getting comments on the site, though, and we like those, too. Um, Karsten Becker... Um, linked us to a conlang that uses metathesis um, as part of a sendy process. Oh, neat. I, I missed um, that. We'll have to... Maybe we'll add this um, language to our um, list to, to cover in the future, but... Sure. We'll, um, we'll take a look at that. Um, there was a... Somebody... Um, Oh, we already talked about the Novogradian comment, didn't we? Yep. We did that yep. last episode. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was the... Yeah, we need more comments and we need more emails. Conlangeragemail.com is the email. More emails, more comments. Yes. You can, like, there's so many ways to talk to us. We just want someone to talk to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we, we want to know that you like the show. And also, if you like the show, you can go on iTunes and give us a, a and uh, give us a nice rating on that. Uh, but yeah, um, we like to know if people like the show and if uh, if you have anything to add to this. We don't know everything. Also, I like my my things for the top of the show. But most imp- and you know, email us for corrections too because those those are. Uh, important too. I think we had a couple corrections recently that people had comments of. Yes, yeah. tell me when I'm lying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I try not to lie. Yeah. If I said something wrong about the the the, the, the Chinese stuff, tell me that I'm wrong. Says uh, I wasn't exactly sure what I was saying. Anyway, um, so I think we'll just wrap up this episode and say, uh, Bianca, do you have any words of wisdom? No. I've gone back into my slump. Mm-hmm. 
You should write up a list of them and then Wisdom Slump. What? Okay. You still are you still working on getting the house and that? Well, I have to get a job. I have to make sure the lawyers are doing the business with the house. I have other <laughs> things to do in this life than sit behind this computer and think of wisdom for people on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in, uh, in, in any case, uh, William, do you have any wisdom? Yeah. When nerds do macho strutting, it just looks ridiculous. When anyone does macho strutting, it looks ridiculous. And conlang nerds, least most of all, should not be doing macho strutting. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. I have I have one final word of uh, no I had I had wisdom that I was going to say, but I forgot it. <laughs> you need to write it down too. Well, it, it, it was something that um, passed over in the dialect discussion, but I forgot to say. But if I think of it, I'll, I'll maybe I'll edit it in. But uh, oh, that's cheating. <laughs> in any case, I'm gonna say happy conlang. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. Comments, questions, and suggestions can be sent to conlangery at gmail.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and maybe leave us a five-star review while you're at it. You can also like us at facebook.com slash conlangery, follow us on Twitter at conlangery, or circle us on Google Plus by searching for conlangery Podcast. Our theme music was created by the band Null Device. Americans okay. don't know how to make cheese. That's I'm bullshit. Complete, no, 100% utter not. bullshit. You have never been to Wisconsin. And that's because well, it's not English cheese either, because the English don't know how to make food. Spanish cheeses. God, I love Spanish cheeses. God, they're the best. Well, Manchego. maybe. <laughs> okay, you should get a winter jacket. But unless you are planning to... <laughs> Live in the suburbs and walk to school, a parka might be overkill. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little weird. Although I remember in a lab that I worked a lab I worked in when I was an undergraduate, we had an Indian graduate student working in the lab who was already wearing a ski mask in October. It doesn't protect you from that at all. It's yeah, a mist, it it's all around you. No. It comes I at mean, you from all angles. No, it doesn't. Fine, then you must have had a different mist coming down. What no, do you this is a foggy mist? mist. It's stuck around. You got oh, wet. Fog. You just walk into it. See, to me, mist is an extremely light rain. All right, so I've been having weird problems with my computer, and I've been doing research, and I realized that the damn thing is four years old, so I suppose it's not surprising that it might start misbehaving eventually. <laughs> Can you tell my husband that? Because my computer is about four years old now, and he won't buy me a new one. 
my 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 life has been consumed with um, building giant things in Minecraft recently. Oh no, you've been sucked into the Minecraft thing. <laughs> Man, I've been so sneezy this episode. I don't know why. <laughs> I've sneezed like ten times during that past hour. Is is it you that I'm hearing the nose breathing from? It could be. Mm. I don't know. No, PDF, do not stop on me now. A couple weeks ago, my old boss emailed me. She's like, I know you were into teaching English. And my friend just emailed me. She said she's looking for a native English speaker to speak English in China or teach English. And I was like, you couldn't have emailed this to me a year ago? Yeah. I heard it. Well, actually, I'm going to be going to grad school, so. Yeah. So. And you know Chinese. They couldn't know Chinese on condition. Some of the Bushibans are pretty sketchy. The who's? The what's? Bushiban uh, cram school. But, and so the, the priest is like, oh, well, Rome is very far away. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can we stop a second? Bianca, can you move your mic? Down a little oh, bit. sorry. I was just looking I think at the I computer can hear screen. You, you're breathing from your nose there. Yeah. Sorry. Also, I was going to sneeze, so that might have been it as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Is that okay, better? Where were we? Yeah. Um. Uh, Hold on, guys. William's echoing for me. Okay. William? Am I still? La la la. No. Okay. All right. Yeah. He has sometimes has a slightly, a really faint echo that doesn't really bother me. But uh, well, this is a pretty strong one. But okay, okay, if it's solved, it's solved. Okay. Well, um, um, Bianca is getting echo. Let's stop for a second. Yeah, I'm getting it too. both on me and him now. Hold yeah. on. Let me test the stupid. Check the options. <laughs> Um, why does it, I think sometimes Skype just switches to Skidari Mix by itself. It's done. All right, okay. that's an irritating behavior. Oh, this is much better. Yeah, but at least it's easily fixed. All right. 